At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening Wow Black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Rakia Boyd, Freddie Gray, Terrence Crutcher, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Walter Scott, Eric Harris, Tony Robinson, Tamir Rice, Laquan McDonald, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, John Crawford, Sandra Bland, Antoine Rose. That's just a few of the names that I came up with off the top of my head earlier today of young brothers and sisters who have been murdered by police or authority figures, oftentimes extremely unjustly, oftentimes unarmed. And for those of us in the room, I just wanted to speak out loud with some of these names because I have a, I have a real worry that the way we we're processing this new information that maybe we we've already begun to de-emphasize the significance of what's happening. And, I don't even think it's necessarily something that we're doing on purpose. I think it might be somewhat of a survival tactic for us, right? The fact that all these names have become hashtags and we talk about them and we talk about them like they're hashtags as opposed to oftentimes remembering the real people behind this. I think it's a painful thing. I think it's leaving a mark. I think these marks are physical, emotional, spiritual. We have like real reactions to this type of stuff. and. Every one of those people was a a father or a mother or a daughter or a son or a brother. There was someone's loved one, someone's friend. Every one of those people was, was literally probably someone's entire world. And I think we, we have a tendency to focus just on the person, which I think is needed. We need to be focusing on the action, but we also need to be finding a way to kind of embrace the people they leave around and behind because those people end up somewhat broken or definitely altered and changed after all this. Um, I, I think it's important that the the sheer fact that these are the ones I came up with off the top of my head without sitting down and opening my computer and going into depth has led me to this place where I believe that when you make a list now and you're talking to other black Americans and African Americans and people of color in this country, as you start naming these names, I think we have become a society at a point that the response oh, I must have missed that one, has become valid. There's so many. It's become so normalized 
that it's so simple and so easy to miss a name and not even have like that real guttural reaction when you realize that there was another brother or sister who's murdered um, in cold blood the way they have been. So I just wanted to start the podcast with that because today's podcast is really focused on <clears throat> our emotion and how we manage it, what we feel, what we don't feel. The fact that we may not even know if what we feel is okay. Is it inside the bounds of normalcy? Uh, are we feeling feelings that are unhealthy or dangerous to ourselves? It's a topic that I've thought about a lot, and I wanted us to kind of delve into this a bit to help people understand what they should feel about their emotions. Um, I know personally I've got a lot of emotions because I've got children, and every one of these murders hits me in a place differently. Some evoke anger, others create sadness. I've had moments where I, I sit back and I truly do wonder, like, what is the solution and is there a solution? So I just wanted to take this time and really focus this episode on our health from a mental standpoint, maybe even a spiritual standpoint as we continue to mitigate these issues. So, so welcome to the latest episode of Wild Black. I'm your host, Vince. I've got our co-host Art with us. In the building, here, loving it. And today we have got another wonderful guest, an expert in her field. Um, she's going to help us to get much closer to what's happening to our people as a whole. She's going to help us to unpack some of these things that we're feeling and hopefully help us to get to a place where we begin to understand if what we're feeling is healthy or not. So I want to introduce Dr. Sakina. She is a clinical psychologist, <clears throat> licensed in Georgia. She has a Ph.D. in developmental psychology from the University of Michigan and a PsyD degree and a PsyD degree in clinical psychology from Rutgers. She's a college professor and clinical practitioner. She's since retired from private practice, but has not stopped in her efforts to assist and help our community. Her studies are focused and have been focused on issues that affect African-Americans and, and include the impact of racism on our self-esteem the identities of our black children and the needs and assessment of our community. So I couldn't think of a better person to bring to the table to talk credibly and from an expert position about what's going on today. A voice we definitely all need to hear. Yeah. I mean, just, just bringing in that real from, from the, the industry, people who understand what's happening can help us. Dr. Sakina, do you want to say anything to kick us off? Well, I want to thank you for inviting me. And um, I felt like this was an opportunity to uh, hopefully reach a broad audience. Uh, one of my biggest interests is actually in helping people. That's why I became a psychologist. And I would like to help as many people as I possibly can so that we can be functional and strong and constructive in the way that we handle our emotions. Makes perfect sense. So I want to, I want to jump right into our civil right today and to intro the civil right, you're going to hear a piece written by the latest hashtag victim of police brutality, uh, Antoine Rose, who was killed last week in Pittsburgh. Um, he wrote a, he's 17 now. He was 17 when he was murdered and he wrote, um, a poem 
a few years back, two years ago when he was 15. And the, po- the poem itself spoke to me just because his face looked so young. I imagine what his voice sounded like when he wrote this. And as opposed to me reading it, I wanted to put more emotion into it and let you hear what it sounds like coming from a child or someone of that age. So I actually had my son take a few moments, look over the poem, think about it. We had a 30, 45 minute conversation about the poem. At one point, he and I both were in tears talking about what had happened and some of his fears or his worry that he has now. But I'll stop talking and and just let you hear it. I am not what you think by Antoine Rose. Written at age 15, murdered at age 17. I am confused and afraid. I wonder what path I will take. I hear that there's only two ways out. I see mothers bury their sons. I want my mom to never feel that pain. I'm confused and afraid. I pretend all is fine. I feel like I'm suffocating. I touch nothing so I believe all is fine. I worry that it isn't, though. I cry no more. I am confused and afraid. I understand people believe I'm just a statistic. I say to them, I am different. I dream of life getting easier. I try my best to make my dream come true. I hope that it does. I am confused and afraid. So, what do you think he meant by this poem? I think he meant that he doesn't understand why people are treating young black men the way they do, and just the race in general. How does it make you feel? It makes me feel aware. What do you mean? More aware than I was before I read this poem. And more aware of of what? What's happening in the world to young black kids. Does it scare you? Not scare, worry. Had you all heard that poem before? No. And I'm really thankful that you had it. So, Vince, yeah, I, I had no clue that that <clears throat> this young child had architected that poem. And two years later, what he was so fearful about actually played out. Yeah. Like, it, and, and I applaud you for, one, educating your son on the realities of what's going on. And then from the reality, the emotion that he is expressing into what he has heard and then what he has read. So he's reflected on that situation, meaning it's not disassociated from him and it's not disassociated from what can happen to him. Um, That's a powerful piece. I, I, it's an emotional piece. Yeah. Like, like kids, this is what African American kids are thinking about. This is what our kids are thinking about. Yeah, when when we actually recorded this, he had probably read it, I don't know, two times in the forty five minute conversation we had before, and like the the reality of it, the the part that you know we don't necessarily always want to admit is the effect that it has on us. So like when my <clears throat> when my son was reading it. And, and for, for your, my son is 12, he'll be 13 in about a week. 
He is about 5'10", about 185 pounds. So he's a big kid. And like the, the idea of what happened to Tamir Rice, the fact that he was gunned down and murdered at a younger age than my son is now. And then thinking about this young man here, Antoine, and the fact that at 17, he was killed. But at 15, he wrote this poem. As I heard my son talking, it was so hard for me to <clears throat> maintain that separation between my reality and what I was hearing come out of my son's mouth. Because it's something I fear on a daily basis that he could be in one of these situations. And he is such an innocent child that he doesn't even really know how to handle himself around the police. Even though I talked to him about it, the world that I come from and he comes from now that we have gotten education and have made good salaries and things. And we've moved into neighborhoods that are not necessarily as dangerous as some of the ones that a lot of our community lives in. Like it honestly, like I had to look away at one moment because it literally moved me to tears. Um, you any, any thoughts about what you heard other, other than just a surprise? And no matter what neighborhood you live in, no matter how nice it is, the Beckys of the world True. are around True. to call the police because you might be breathing loudly. True. Mm-hmm. Such a good point. We've turned into a, a society that doesn't seem to care, want to understand, or really just even give a damn about our well-being. So I'm going to add a few more details to, to the case here. Uh, Antoine Rose was shot and killed on Tuesday, June 19th by East Pittsburgh officer Michael Rossfield. Uh, Michael had been in law enforcement for several years before, but in my opinion, probably shouldn't have been there anymore. He was hired and fired from the University of Pittsburgh on their campus police for his record with violence. People had been filing reports about against him left and right, so they let him go. Um, and then, of course, the city picked him up, brought him on. He was hired in mid-June, and three weeks later, he was sworn in. On, on, and on that same day, he murdered Antoine. Um, but, but more about Antoine, the superintendent of the schools called him an excellent student. Um, his boss, the owner of a local gymnastics club, was quoted talking about the day Antoine showed up for his interview in a three-piece suit. She said, I just thought it was very cute. I think he was 14 at the time. Someone in his life must be guiding him in the right direction. Um, we know that today Antoine was unarmed. He was shot in the face, in the right arm, and in the middle of his back. Now we know from the poem we just heard that he had dreams and wanted more for himself. We know he didn't want his mother to feel the very pain she's feeling now. And we know he was scared. Um, so I, th- I think that's all the detail that I want to go into about the case. You can probably tell that this is one that, that really kind of has hit a nerve with me and bothers me. And it's probably really good that we're talking about the topic we are today, just simply because the range of emotion I've already felt from this, from the tears that I, I've already cried with my son to the, the shock and disbelief when I first saw the story and, and watched the video. Um, all right, you got any thoughts on this, man? I'm, I feel like I'm just steady talking. I don't want to keep talking y'all to death. <laughs> when you get the full context of, of what happened, right, and you think about how it occurred, and you think about these, these third-party um, reflections of who this young man was, it becomes really emotional. But for me, 
it's emotional energy. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Different way. It, it makes me, and I was having a conversation with a, with a young lady today who has two sons. I have two daughters, um, but she has two sons. And it makes me more militant because I get angry. Like I get really, really angry because when you put the facts on the table, there is nothing that should have prevented this young man from becoming an adult. Right. There's no, like, there's nothing that you would indicate from the data points that should allow this young man not to become an adult. Right. It's, it's so tough to justify that. And as a man, I feel like every man, black man, a person of color has to be in a, in a, in a massive mental uproar internally. And maybe they even express it externally. Right. And I'm, I'm, at this point, when you when you begin to kind of stack it up, you start to think, hmm, this is like recent. So when we, we listed those names, those are recent names. Those are recent individuals who have gotten press coverage, who've gotten promotion or gotten marketing because of the situations, probably because of, of the situations to where their body cams now. Right. So there's more evidence to prove that, hey, there's some unlawfulness about what's happening to our black brothers and sisters as it relates to the violence and the killings that are, are when you look at the tapes and when you hear what's going on, you would think it shouldn't happen. And right? I think that almost infuriates me more because now we've got this hard audio visual evidence. Oh my God. It, and it is the same outcome. And I don't know how anyone could be, be, I don't know how anyone could, a man, a black man, a, a person of color, a man, um, could not have an emotional connection to that because not only if it's not your son or your daughter or um, it's not someone in your immediate family, but you have to understand exactly what this young man said in this poem. It could happen to you. It is a unfortunate threat to any person of color. A child has to actually feel this way. It and makes Tamir me think a lot Rice of things. Rice was playing with a toy. Right. A toy. He was a little boy. In the park. Playing in the park with a toy gun. In, inside the boundaries of a place that's supposed to be safe for children. Like the fact that it's a playground makes it that much worse. Yeah. If you take it further, because I, I like to think about strategy. I like to think long-term, past and future. If you think about the reflection of, of what is materializing now and what we're starting to get exposure to. Right. It hurts my heart to think about what happened in the past to many individuals that look like us. Oh, man. That... They don't have a hashtag. The hashtag wasn't invented. Because you know the frequency and severity had to be worse. Than what Far we're more right severe, now. right? Far more severe. So it, it is a systemic issue in America. And we're now just getting to a point where we can expose it to a point where we can have a hashtag. Right. And a black man like me and you can actually be emotional about something that 
is not necessarily affecting our individual families, but we know that it's affecting our people. Right. I mean, I, th- I think we've gotten to the point now. One, it's horrible that it's still happening. I, I hate that it's still happening. I hate there's no solution. But I, I, I do. Let me correct you on that one break statement. It down, break it down. That I hate that there's no solution. Okay. Let's let's believe that there are solutions. Right. And that we all have to be part of the solution. I'm with that. I like it when I hear you say that that the anger that you feel is making you more militant because mm-hmm. we are going to have to become more activists. Right. Mm-hmm. We have to we have to pray on it. We have to think on it. We have to plan on it and be actively involved in solutions together unified. on all fronts. That's right. Completely agree with, completely agree with mm-hmm. that. So we were, we were talking a little bit about, about the emotions, right? Uh, Art talked about the rage. I, I think most of us share that. Um, there's definitely the, the sadness that we have, the fear. But from Dr. Sakina, from your perspective, like being in this space, what are you seeing reflected back from our community? Like what are people feeling? I think that everything that he expressed in that poem is what people are feeling. And while the um, black boys and men, young black men and boys are more the direct targets. There have also been some uh, female targets. You mentioned Sandra Bland, and uh, she's not the only one. But even beyond that, uh, it diminishes our pool of young, eligible black men. this has nothing to do with with what people what we're feeling, but I'm noticing a trend in in television commercials of mixed couples and mixed marriages, and it's almost like they're saying to black women, "Well, there aren't enough black men out there for you, so you know you might as well look for a white man." Um, I think that that, as you said, there's a long history right. of these types of incidents happening. It's not happenstance. It hasn't happened by uh, coincidence. There are members of hate groups like the Ku Klux Klan who plan to become district attorneys, who plan to become uh, policemen. This one who just killed Antoine Rose was no doubt Blue Klux Klan. Amen. I, I, I agree 100% with you on that one. We have to be as methodical about how we're going to approach this. Their plan is strategic. It's long-term and they're acting it out without question. And, and I think, I think another big problem is so many of us, so many, not, not, I won't say us, people in general, who are against this kind of thing. I think you see a large group who fall into this conspiracy camp, conspiracy theory camp, where they almost don't believe that there's a long-term plan in action to put people who dislike African-Americans and people of color 
in positions of power in all levels of our government. And I think until we realize that, we'll continue to stumble, right? We, we need a lot of unification and we need to understand, we need to truly understand the strategies that they're enacting in order to defend against it and fight and back. And when we don't it. realize it, a lot of times it's because um, we don't want to. Right. It's, it's, or we haven't thought about it. It's a painful reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's apparent. Like, you, you, if you look at it and you think about it long enough, you, you see, hey, this, this is it's interesting that this same racist person has now been put into a position where they're killing black people. It comes with the acknowledgement that this is a plan that's unfolding and we are not intended to be the winners at the end of this game. So, Dr. Sakina, one thing you said that I wanted to dig a little bit on when you um, you talked about the impact on black women. I read an article on PBS um, maybe yesterday or the day before. I don't remember the exact headline, but what it was saying is that when it comes to these issues of police and authority figures killing African-Americans, the numbers will have you think it's a black men game. But the reality through long-term studies and exposure is that this is harming black women even more because black women are the one, the ones who are holding these black men down, the ones who are loving them. Uh, in the case, think, in a, think of Erica Garner, right? She died, uh, think of a heart attack. That's right. Right. They used her specifically in this in this case, and they talked about the fact that black women are dying from stroke, depression, severe depression, broken heart hearts. attack, heartache, just from what's happening. Black women love us with such a ferocity that our abuse is beating them down even more so than us, because I think so many of us love to fall back on that macho attitude that we're going to be just fine. You can't slow the black man down. But the reality is they are, and our women are suffering along with us. Have you, have you heard anything about this? Do you think anything about that? I haven't heard anything about it, but I, I would agree that um, it's, it's harming all of us. Um, each of these young boys had a mother who is crying a lot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, each of these young men had wives, fiancés, children who are crying, who've lost them, who don't have them. We need each other. All right, so I want, I want to get into a couple of the questions that, that we've pulled together for you. We've, we've talked about these emotions. I don't want us to understate the issue. So... My first question for you is how significant of an issue have these murders created in our psyche, in our mentality, in our community? Like seeing these over and over through the media, through images, through social media, how significant of an impact has this had and how dangerous can the impact be? And, and, and you know, let me I'm gonna add Go a little piece to it, because I think there's a couple ways to look at it. One is that. We, as people of color, have to understand that this has been happening for an extended period of time. Right. Today's situation has allowed it to now surface to all of us. Like we have access to actually see it, hear it, and then get a totally different perspective, not being directly impacted by it, by meaning somebody who we know, love, that we see, which is only happening now versus what may have happened before. I think maybe the 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 emotion may be the same, but now it's it's compounded because now we see it even more and more 
as it's becoming more exposed to us. And and a lot of that is, as you said, because we have people have body cams because we have every phone has a, a camera that can make a video on the spot. And there's social media. Um, when Trayvon Martin was killed, it was viral all over social media. And uh, but he wasn't the first to be killed. He was the first to go viral. I have I have mixed feelings about it. Um, I think that it's positive that we're aware of it. I think that as long as we were not aware, we could go on about our lives, pursuing our jobs or careers or doing, you know, whatever we do, sort of oblivious because this didn't happen to my son or this didn't happen to my cousin or my right. mother. So for that reason, it was going on, but we weren't thinking of addressing it. Okay. And now we're thinking of, we need to, we need to address this. Right. Where the mixed feelings come from, the negative aspect of it is that it's like, a, it's a stress. It's a, it's, I think that I use the term post-traumatic stress but when we talk about post-traumatic stress, that's the stress of something that happened in the past. That's, that's over with. That's over. It's not still happening. And how in, in therapy, how you treat a child, say, who's, who's in a, um, a traumatic family situation, is you remove the perpetrator of abuse from that family. You protect the child from the ongoing abuse. And once the ongoing abuse, once the child is protected from that, once the per a, a woman in a in an abusive marriage, well, men get in abusive marriages too. But we won't we even understand. go there. But anyway, <laughs> a person in an abusive marriage, once they get away from that abuse, once they get away from that person, then they can heal. But here we have a situation where we can't totally heal because. Here comes another situation. We're going to turn around and here comes another situation. And we're going to get exposed to it. We're going to get exposed to it. Yeah. But I don't want us to close our eyes to it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't want us to allow ourselves to become sick from it. We have to constantly find a way to be proactive, find a way to be constructive, to channel our anger constructively to channel our emotions constructively. I tell you, I personally was never into politics. I was never into supporting any campaigns. I, like most of us, don't vote local elections. They haven't. Well, I, I have in right. the past maybe, I don't know, 10 or so years started voting in local elections. But most people wait till the presidential right. election, and that's the only election they vote in. A lot of people got registered to vote just for uh, Barack Obama. Yeah, true. They they weren't um, they ain't touched the ballot since. Exactly. So so now I really feel strongly that we have to educate our people. We have to go out. We have to do some town hall meetings and some grassroots uh, reaching out to inform our people about candidates who are running for office because guess guess who's getting away guess who is responsible for why these police are getting away with this that's right 
their elected officials, district attorneys. DAs, yep. Yep, yep. All right, so I want to change directions just slightly. You you brought up PTSD, understanding that ours is not post, it's current stress disorder, it's right right now. So as, as as people begin to unpack their own feelings and whether they are conscious about what they're feeling now or or not what are your thoughts on what's healthy versus what's not right because we all have this range of emotions we feel every single time this happens but for our own safety and our own health how do we figure out when it's time to stop handling it alone like when are our feelings too much for our health oh let me give you an example too because because <laughs> i think about that because i think about um the mindset of some individuals who may transition into something more violent, mm, right? right? Like um, the individual in Texas, I think it was Dallas, right? Um, who began to shoot police officers, right? Where he couldn't effectively handle the emotion without turning it into something extremely violent to where he began to kill innocent people, potentially. I can't, you know, say every police right. officer that he right, killed right. Was, was, was good or bad, but... The thought process is that he kind of transitioned in his mind and his thought process, and maybe he internalized that emotion and, and what he felt into something more violent. So as, a, as an example to that question to kind of play out, okay, healthy versus unhealthy, and right. what does that right. look right. like? And then what does that look like in order for someone to know that they need to get some help? Right. So whether it's I'm going violent, I'm finding myself into a, a deeper depression where I can no longer function— what does that line look like for us? Well, that's it. When when you fall into a depression that interferes with your functioning, it's becoming unhealthy. That's the time when something needs to be done about it. Um, when your anger or rage becomes such that you may lash out uh, in violence, that's the time when it has become unhealthy. We need to learn how to be in touch with our emotions, to be aware. We need to take away some of the stigma from seeking help. Um, Perhaps we need to form some self-help support groups for black people. You know, they've got them for alcoholics. They've got got self-help support groups for people who are hooked on drugs. Right. Uh, self-help support groups for codependents, you know, perhaps we should be forming in our uh, communities, in our churches, in our masjids, in our places of worship, perhaps we should be forming self-help support groups and sitting down and talking about our emotions, being in touch with our emotions, and also talking about constructive actions that we can take. Because if you can take a constructive action, you can better cope with those feelings. What causes us to fall into dysfunctionality is when we feel helpless. We don't feel like there's anything we can do. Right. That's why I had to interrupt you when we said, well, we can't. Right, you know, right. Can't is a, um, is a bad word. It's a four-letter word. Right. Uh, can't never did. We have to believe that we can and that we will. Um, there are many, many, many positive, constructive things that we can do. Um, but let me talk first about just just learning how to manage stress. Well, one good thing, most young black men are involved in sports. 
just having some physical activity on a regular basis, that's one good thing. It helps your body to uh, become stress hardy. It's, it probably is one of the reasons that black men can, you know, get macho and like I can handle them. <laughs> because if they're working out, if they're getting exercise, whether it be playing basketball or doing aerobics, going to the gym, whatever we're doing that's physical, that helps us to manage stress. Okay. We all need to learn how to meditate. I believe in prayer, but I think that our prayer should be followed up with meditation. Learning how to be silent, learning how to be calm, learning how to calm ourselves, how to de-escalate from anger. Right. These are skills that we can develop. And if we're not developing them, we should start. Even taking 10 or 15 minutes in the morning to be silent and focus on your breathing, breathing deeply, So this thinking is a, peaceful thoughts. I have a, it's going to sound like a comical question, but I don't mean it that way. You're talking about meditation, right? I've tried it a couple of times and, <laughs> and every time I do it, I find myself in this place. Like I go through this process, like, okay, I'm relaxing. This feels great. And then I hit a point. I don't know if like this is the point of meditation. Am I doing it right? But I promise I hit a point where I don't know <laughs> if I fell asleep or if I was awake and just found myself in, in a peaceful place. Like, is that normal in meditation? I think that's normal. And yes, I think that's pro possibly could be a sign that you were successful. Yes. In I have really I wondered say, that. I do it every morning. I meditate every morning. And, and my meditation is just simple, quiet. Like nothing is, I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I clear my mind and I can focus on just breathing. And then you get all these different random thoughts that you have to push to the side to where you could just focus on breathing. I started yeah. wondering, like, and then I, I get so calm. Like, did I go to, like, this is what I ask myself every morning. Did I just go to sleep? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad and, I'm not the yeah, only no, one. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think that's what I know I'm actually ready to tackle today. I really mean, like, real talk, yeah. I was, yep. I was always careful who I asked. I'm like, I don't want to sound crazy. Like, a fool. Like, like, you out here. <laughs> is this supposed to feel like that? Because I think I, I might have gone to sleep, maybe. I don't even know. I think that there's something in the Bible and it's also in the Quran that um, God is telling us to fear nothing and no one except Him. At least in our language, that word right. is fear. I don't believe it's literal fear of God in the sense that we mean fear. Like, you know, if there was a hungry lion in the room, <laughs> we would get pretty anxious and, you know, but Respect the it's power not that, that he will. So. Yeah, it's, it's having that reverence. It's being in a state a of awe. Reverence. I have to fight the lion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My point here is this. People are just people. Police, they're just people. They're not worthy of our strong emotion yes. of fear, okay? Um, and it's that fear that caused the young man to run. That's why Antoine Rose yes. ran. Um, so many young black kids. I mean, when I think about it, even before social media, if, if I got stopped by, whenever I was stopped by the police, Everybody black has been stopped by the police yes. right. at some point. 
And it, initially, it's terrifying. Yeah. Like, when you see the lights, yeah, it's like, oh, my God. Before you even saw anything on social media, before you even knew on a regular basis that these type of murders and lynchings were going on. I'm glad you used you that word. Thank you. still felt... You, you, my throat would start to get dry. Mm-hmm. I would, I would start this to fear from deep inside yeah, you of you. Feel, your heart you starts your heart beating really fast. Yes. So, so, you know, what I'm really saying is that we need to learn to deescalate from those emotions and we should possibly even do it as families. Yes. It's good that we as adults are learning how to meditate. We should get our kids, gather them around. Let's all meditate. I saw, by the way, some schools had started using, a few good schools started using meditation with children who are displaying behavior problems. Instead of punishing them, take them off into a meditation room and let them meditate, calm themselves. It's like, I don't don't know how you cannot find calm when you do that. That's right. Like it it forces you into that place. That's right. Well, we need to get into that. We need to learn. I do it. Even sometimes when I'm at the gym and I'm exercising, I put my hands on the, um, I'll be on a, um, on an elliptical or something like that. I'll put my hands on the heart rate monitor and watch my heart rate. And then I'll, I'll just pay attention to my breathing and start taking deep breaths. My heart rate will go down after about three or four deep breaths. And so it's the same in those situations. If you practice breathing deeply, calming yourself and breathing deeply, and then you get stopped by the police, use positive self-talk. Say, I need to remain calm. Talk to yourself and say, I need to be calm. And you're not talking out loud. This is a thought in your head. It's the inner voice. Yes. Right. That I need to to be calm and I can handle this and also take a few deep breaths to remind yourself. I need to take a few deep breaths right now. Take a few deep breaths. Um, I want to read these four points that, um, an attorney, this is a defense attorney in Chicago, April prayer said that there are four things not to do. She said, if the police stop you, do not run. The police will chase you and they may attack you. And as we've seen in several cases, they may ki- even kill you. Yeah. Do not run. I think I saw her video earlier this week. I was her, glad you brought that Her up. second point was do not reach. Don't reach in your pocket for ID. If they ask you for ID, tell them where it is and let them reach for it. You keep your hands visible that you're not reaching for anything. So many black people have been killed because they reached for a wallet to show their ID. They were holding a wallet and the police said, I thought he had a gun. Or a hairbrush. Right. So don't, don't, she said also, do not resist. Don't talk back. Don't uh, stiffen up your body. Don't do anything that could be interpreted as uh, resisting. Don't run your mouth. Don't say, you know, anything. She said, keep silent. She said, the only thing you need to say out loud is, I want a lawyer. 
How do you remain calm enough Man, to but, do this? Yes, because if you that think like I'm internalizing that, yeah, and I'm I'm trying to think about the last time I got stopped by a police officer. You got to remember all that while your stress is elevating. Your heart rate is intensifying, yes. right? Your anxiety yes. is increasing. Your Take stress level is actually in increasing, right? The lights have have you in a totally different place than you are normally exposed to. And then you also have this stressor that says, man, I could die tonight. I can die today because this police officer stopped me for an illegal left turn, right? And now, along with those emotions that I now have to manage within a very short window before he or she gets to my door, I then have to do those things. Right. That is that is a I only bring that up to say it's very difficult being a black person and having to actually manage through this process right. in order to get to a point where, hey, I mean, I get shot today. And not even just the process, but the process in that time span from the moment it's, you notice quick. the lights to the notice. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, you're you're elevated and, and I can everybody listen to this podcast. By the time you 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 see the lights and you know it's you that they're after, this is a very small window. Absolutely. To to get it together. Practice. This is why I say the meditation mm-hmm. every day. Deep breathing every day. If if we practice, we become masterful at it. And just as I mean, I've seen myself on the on the uh, treadmill or the elliptical going just as fast, not slowing down my motion one iota, but my heart rate goes down from breathing deeply, just breathing deeply. You know, one, one thing I want to ask for the people listening is you've talked a lot about like calming yourself down, meditating, and, and hopefully what our listeners are doing is they're, they're going to find information on how to do that. Can you offer any assistance to help them cut down on the clutter? Because the moment they go to Google and say, how do I meditate? They're going to be like just completely engulfed in who knows how many ideas, some rights are wrong. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that they can just pick one. Um, there are apps you can put on your phone that, that show you how to do a quick meditation. Um, there are YouTube videos and a lot of them are good. And, and you can watch a few of them and pick the one that appeals to you. Pick the one that resonates with you and your personality and your character. Uh, a lot of people go to um, a teacher right. and uh, there are churches that teach med- meditation. Hillside is one of them. Um, the Spiritual Center of Atlanta is one of them. Um, there's also a Buddhist uh, meditation center in Midtown, there are places you can go and actually get a teacher and get someone who will sit down with you and show you how to meditate. But you can also go on YouTube where everything else, you, can, <laughs> you learn recipes on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Why not learn to meditate on YouTube? And I don't think you have to overcomplicate it either, right? I mean, right. it's, it's, right. it's sometimes it's the, just the nature should be simple. Being quiet, just, just removing things from your thought, being quiet, closing your eyes. And breathing for 15 minutes. That's all I do. Like, that's, that's, I get up in the morning, I, I, I reflect for a little bit, and then I say, time for me to just chill out and not do anything. So I'm just gonna breathe, close my eyes, breathe. Take a few minutes. 15 minutes. That's right. Set the time on my, 
on my phone and when the, when the alarm go off, I said, man, that was a good nap because I literally think I went to sleep. When when you get into the practice of relaxing yourself, calming yourself, de-escalating from anger and, and any negative emotion, then you become, it becomes like a tool that you can pull out of your pocket and just use this tool right now. I need to calm down. I'm going to take a few deep breaths. This is my And routine. you just take the deep breaths. Nobody even has to know what you're doing, that you're doing it. They can't tell. You, but, they, but one thing they will know is that you're not freaking out. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I've got two questions that I, that I want to get out. One, what I think is, you know, a bit more broad. But you know how in the country we've got this um, threat level assessment, right? I don't remember the colors, orange, blue, whatever the colors are. California's got it for like ozone or environment. If you had to look at what's happening with the black psyche and black trauma and all this that's, that's coming as a result of this exposure to these incidents, if you had to assign like a threat level, like one being things are perfectly fine and five being it's critical, things are horrible, we're in trouble. From a mental standpoint, from a psychic standpoint. What are those numbers again? What's critical just, just and say horrible? One to five. five, one, one, to five one is okay. everything's great. Five is the shit just popped off and it's, it's, it's nuclear. Dire straits. Right. Like we, we are, are in I, war. Right. <laughs> I'll, say, we I'll say we're, we're vacillating between four and five because every time one of these incidents happens and we know about it, we're at five. Uh, but before we knew about it, maybe for a week or two, we were at four. Right. I think that with a lot of the things that are going on in this country, our rights being taken away um, in Congress. Right in front of our faces. Right in front of us. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's keeping us pretty much at four. But again, I always go back to, you know, what's the constructive way to handle it. And I'm talking about calming our bodies and calming our minds and also being faithful. Because if we look at the scriptures and looked at the history, we know that God has always intervened in favor of the oppressed people. Right. Right. That the historic precedence has been set. I tell people that Faith for the faithful, faith and fear can't be bedfellows, right? You you can't have can't any real level of fear if you are truly operating in faith. Now, I, I recognize that some fear is a protective mechanism and it helps us to be alert. But I think when I think when the when your fear becomes when the fear when your fear is pushed to a place that it's uncontrollable, there's no room for your faith to exist. That's just something that that I've believed. Um, you were taught. We, we were talking about like the threat level, right? And as I was thinking through that question, I wanted to quantify that a little bit. So I just jumped into Google and I started researching and I found this. <clears throat> there's an article, um, sorry, there's a, a report that came out on June 21st. So it's very recent in a British journal called The Lancet. Have you heard of that before? No. I'd never heard of it before, but it seems to be a large and kind of reputable organization. In what, Great Britain? I don't know where they are, right? But I know okay. they're working with American companies because this. So basically what they did was between 2013 and 2015, they conducted a survey, telephone survey with people, 
of multiple races. And they wanted to dig into this very topic today about what's the impact. Actually, I'm going to read it. It says, the Lancet focused on the mental well-being of black adults who are not directly involved in acts of police violence, adding to a body of research that suggests the killings are a public health issue. So what they did was they spoke on the telephone through survey to hundreds of thousands of Americans. And they asked these people questions about their mental health and well-being as it relates to these murders of black men and women. The findings shocked me a little bit, right? Both from a good thing, from a good, well, from an expected place and very unexpected. So the results were when this was extrapolated nationally, and I think they talked to a little over like 1.3 million people. So it's a relatively large survey. And of the people, African-American, 52% of impacted African-Americans were aware and highly aware of one of these issues. And this is, they, they're self-identifying what they consider a poor mental health day. Of that 50-some-odd percent of impacted African-Americans, that equated to 55 million poor mental health days. Now, again, this is self-reporting, so we don't know what a poor mental health day actually means. It could be a headache. It could be I can't get out of bed. It could be many things. But the fact that those African-Americans who were, who were impacted had 55 million days of mental health, of poor mental health. And this is a collective number in one year. That shocked me. It's all those people put together and adding all their days together. That's how many mental health days that African-Americans needed. The part that let me down was, as I talked to white Americans, I'll read it. For white Americans, no negative health effects were found for the over- 750,000 white Americans who took the study. So we are reacting so badly that we need 55 million health, poor health mental, day, mental health days. They had no reaction. Now, this is in relation to what's happening in society. Right. This is, this is, or what's happening to us. Seeing by way of video or pictures this brutality against police, against African Americans by police. Okay. Okay. I could, I could totally, uh, I could, I could. Five million days. When I think about the numbers, right, and I love data, I hope to find it hard to believe in my heart that it's not 0% of non-people of color who think that way. Because it, those are the individuals who need to have a level of humanity. Right. Right against the people who are oppressed, right? right. Um, that's my perspective on it. I, I, 55 million doesn't sound like a lot, a big enough number for African-Americans to me. When you think about the amount of times this has occurred in, in our community, every time that happens, for every black man, that quote, unquote, that is that's a day. A that is an absolute day. Okay, I like, I like the way day. you broke that down. Like, there's no way it cannot be. I got you. And it may be two days if you got a son or a daughter. You and if you got two of them, it maybe it, it compounds. So I don't, I don't. Now it's a week. Correct. Correct. That makes sense. I didn't think, I didn't think about it through that lens. And then don't, don't, don't be a parent or an African-American man who actually introduces their son or daughter to the situation. Right. That may be two weeks. That was me yesterday. Our mental health as a people, if we really are oscillating between that four and that five, that's a serious component. We got to figure out how to deal with it. Dr. Sakina, I've got one more question that. I'm sure our listeners will want to know, and I want to know personally, and then I want to just give you a few minutes if there's any points or anything that you need to get off your chest and let the people hear. 
But we we talked a lot about like we just got done having the conversation about that moment you realize that you are indeed being pulled over. You need to find your way to work through your fear. You need to decompress. You need to relax, find your calm space to be able to handle that officer. How do we help our children? Because they're oftentimes in the backseat, right? They pick up on our fear. And it's like, as I learned from my own son yesterday and before, as we learned from Antoine's writing, they have their own fears. How do we help them? A few minutes ago, I said, teach your children meditation. Teach them how to calm down, how to be calm, how to calm themselves. Be a role model of that. Uh, And uh, teach them these four points. Do not run. Do not reach. Do not resist. Do not run your mouth. Teach them these four points and also teach them how to calm themselves, how to de-escalate from being upset in those situations so that they can implement those steps. Right. Makes them stronger. Yes. And also, um, I hope you see this analogy because I I was thinking about this actually on my way here this evening. I've had people who came to me for therapy because they, they had a terrible job. They were being mistreated on the job and they were so stressed out from the job. But I don't tell them, you know, quit your job because there's another major stressor that's like having no money that can happen to you if you just up and quit your job. But I tell them uh, that that they'll feel better if they look for another job. (laughs) So while you're working, when you get home, go on your computer, look for another job, network, go to job fairs, do whatever you can do to get another job. And you'll feel better about the situation that you're in. When you know that it's temporary and right. you're saying to yourself, this is not my career. This is not my life. I'm not going to be here. And you're playing an active role in changing it. Yes. Yeah, this is not my future. You're taking an active role mm-hmm. in changing it. And likewise, I think that uh, black people need to be conscious and aware of the fact that um, we have some power. We sometimes think we are powerless and that's what makes us depressed. That's what makes us feel hopeless and like there's nothing we can do. There was a a recent Nielsen report. They did a study that said black dollars matter. And it was about the sales impact of black consumers. It said that we, we spend $1.2 trillion a year as a people. And that constitutes approximately, I think, I'm giving you a real rough ballpark figure, but like 40% of the whole market. Now, their purpose for doing a study like this is to um, try to figure out how to sell us more stuff. How can we Mm -hmm. get that 1.2? How they can get that, yeah. Um, How we can make them rich. Right. But um, I think that we we should be aware of it. It quantifies our power. That we have power. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting as you quantified it in a dollar amount, which is is an American construct of capitalism, which amen. is 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 the perfect way to put it. Like well, the dollars, you know, is the the civil rights era, they didn't just march around singing "We Shall Overcome." They also implemented boycotts. And one of yes. the things that we need to you know think about is 
where where are we spending our money? <coughs> Waffle House. With Sorry. whom are we spending our money? And what are these big corporations doing in, that's in our interest? They or, need to or earn that's our not dollars. in our interest. Exactly. And you know, yeah. Do you think the NFL has earned our no, dollars and our support? I absolutely Thank you very don't. Much. I Thank absolutely you very much. don't. I get and you so know mad when this, I see my this, brothers looking at that. I have decided, it. just as T.I. and many other people in America and hopefully all of our listeners or some of our listeners have considered out there. the impact that the NFL has on us and the position that they have in society in which the change that they can make because of us. And I want them to understand the impact we have on them. Absolutely. And they will realize Absolutely. that when we get serious. We have Amen. to show them. That movie, The Black Panther, broke all kinds of records. I think it was a great movie. But apart from that, I mean, it was a positive self-esteem boost for black people. It was good in a lot of ways. But one of the best things to me was that it showed what we can do. We came together. If we can make unified. a movie, number one, for five weeks straight. Globally. Breaking records. Yes. All over the world. Okay? We could open up some chains of grocery stores or something. There's also an organization that uh, Sean King is leading and organizing mm-hmm. called... Um, the Real Justice Pack, and I think the website is secure.actblue.com. Sean King, if you're listening, know that your advertisements on Facebook are working because I get served with your post daily. Thank you. Well, I signed up to get served with those posts, okay? But I follow he, everything he, he does. He's, it was through his writing that I learned this about the district attorneys. Those are the people that are saying, to these police, go home. It's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, you, so, so you shot another. I'm not going to prosecute you. Exactly. Exactly. So he's saying, you know, join the movement to elect prosecutors who will fix our broken justice system. I think that this is, this is a cause that we need to get behind. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. I want to, I want to give you the opportunity I know you spent time preparing for this. Is there anything that you want to tell our listeners now that you haven't gotten the chance to say yet? Anything that's burning or you're passionate about that you want to share? I want to just give you a few moments to talk directly to them unfiltered about what it is that's on your heart and mind that might be able to help them, make them better, protect us a little bit more. What's really on my mind is that we should all be about awakening our consciousness and our awareness to what is the most positive and constructive thing that we can do. And of course, we should start with our own families, start with our own children, but also start with our communities, our uh, places of worship that we go to, uh, forming, forming those self-help support groups I'm talking about, that we can actually support one another, learning to love ourselves and to love one another, to give ourselves priority. Take care of yourself first so that you have it in you to love others and nurture others. I love it. So you heard her. We need to do a better job of taking care of ourselves, taking care of our families, and taking care of our communities. Uh, Find a way to work together, identify some objectives, move in unison to achieve those objectives. 
understand, know our value and force the world around us to understand, know and respect our value. Um, I think that's the end of the show today. I, th- I think this is a, another good one. Everybody another out there, one. please another make sure one. if you've got a, a question or a topic you want us to talk about, if you've got a guest you think that needs to be on the show, make sure to drop us an email at wildblackpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Peace.